My next guest is a climate tech entrepreneur, the vice president of EarthX Capital, co-founder of EarthX eCapital Summit, and the finance chair of Clean Energy for Biden. Please welcome Matt Myers. Matt, how's it going? It's going pretty well, as well as it could go for anybody else this morning. To answer that question more fully, I will uh, repeat a Facebook post from a friend. He said, quote, wakes up early, sleepily checks news, dot, dot, dot. Bullet point one, presidential candidate Herman Cain dies from COVID after attending Trump's Tulsa rally. Bullet point two, U.S. economy contracted more than 30% in the second quarter. Biggest drop in recorded history. Bullet point three, Trump calls for postponing U.S. election, suggesting anything else would lead to invalid results. Dot, 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 goes back to bed. Now, I would love to go back to bed. I had an 8 a.m. call I had to lead, and then I got back into bed, and then I realized I had to be on a podcast. So that's how I'm feeling this morning. <laughs> yeah, tough, tough morning this morning. Tough day. <laughs> how yeah, about yourself? I appreciate yeah. you coming on, though. I appreciate you coming on here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem at all. No, for myself, yeah, doing well. I'm doing well. So let's jump right into it. Great. What do you do? What do I do? You know what I love? I saw the title of this podcast and I wanted to add something. It says, what do you do? And I wanted to go, what do you do here anyways? <laughs> <laughs> um, referring to the Office Space movie, obviously. Yeah, classic. Oh, what? <laughs> What do I do? Well, I'd say especially the last year and a half, and you could bleep me out, but the <laughs> last year and a half, I've found what I'm really doing is finding everything I can do to unfuck America. That <laughs> is that is my um, my daily. <laughs> All right, and with that, <laughs> one of the ways that you're doing that is your work with EarthX, right? Correct. So can you talk about and describe what EarthX is and the uh, EarthX eCapital Summit? Sure. So EarthX is one of the largest environmental nonprofits in the country. And the bread and butter of EarthX is it is a big tent convener. So EarthX typically puts on the largest environmental exposition in the world. And it also hosts conferences and uh, a film festival as well. Clearly, and it is held every April around Earth Day. So clearly this year, we had to do a virtual pivot, which went really well. And as an organization, we are uh, exploring how to still activate people environmentally and drive change um, in a virtual format. So that's what EarthX does. And as far as the eCapital Summit, I 
founded that now over four years ago, and it is a climate tech investment summit. So we um, engage and bring together climate tech startups from around the world and investors as well, anywhere from a angel to a venture capitalist to a financier to a family office, so on and so forth. And also what I call ecosystem partners, which are incubators, accelerators, national labs, government and government being uh, the U.S. Department of Energy. And so we're bringing folks together, connecting investors to entrepreneurs, helping everybody how we can. It is all philanthropic in nature. So a lot of times um, in this situation, you'll either have an egregious fee that's charged or somebody will try and take a brokerage fee on the side. And so we don't do any of that. It is purely philanthropic and trying to address funding gaps, which climate tech companies are facing. And in addition to that, through engaging the federal government over the past, I'd say, year and a half, two years plus, I have been helping them identify these funding gaps that climate tech mm -hmm. companies face and how the federal government can help catalyze more private investment into these companies in market-friendly ways. And that resulted in a uh, white paper, which you can find on the eCapital Summit website on earthx.org, and also led to a task force, which I launched, was also invited to the White House and nice. yeah, through that work. And unfortunately, the task force, we had our first meeting in February of this year. So as you can imagine, that is the last time most people from that task force have traveled out of state. Right, right. <laughs> and, and that has led me to pursue other work and, you know, in terms of government and, and politically since then. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's great work that you're doing. You're basically trying to get a cleaner and healthier world for future generations with this. And how long has this been going on? How long has EarthX been in, in existence and have you been helping out? And how far has the needle moved since you started? So EarthX has been around now for 10 years. This is the 10-year anniversary for the organization. It started out as a, a small street fair in Dallas, Texas, and now has grown to what it is today. Last year, it's, it's really around the physicals. So last year in 2019, we had over 150,000 people come to the Dallas fairgrounds for the expo over three days. And in terms of the eCapital Summit, we've convened over, I'd say over 300 startups and 300 investors representing over a trillion dollars of assets under management over the last four years. The virtual pivot we did in April was really exciting because nobody had done a conference like this before and we had several that were coming after us and being first at bat for me was a really exciting challenge so you've got less than a month to pull it off limited resources 
doing something for the first time. So there aren't many reference points. What do you do? And I, I think we were really successful. We had over 60 speakers, over mm. 90 companies, and 90 investors from over 12 countries. And those 90 investors and companies, uh, we locked in in a 10-day period of time. And those 90 companies were uh, winnowed down from over 250 applications. So that gives you an idea of, I hope, of how far we, we've come and yeah. how we're adapting to the current situation. That's great. Now, where do you see it going in, like, in the next three to five years? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people are asking themselves that question. Mm-hmm. I would say that the probability of having large physical convenings next year is very low. So right. our, our, our organization is wrestling with that reality and that is leading us to innovate. And uh, to be frank, we were not and are still not quite uh, a very digitally savvy organization. So this is forcing us to become that mm. and to experiment with new ways to engage with people, highlight success stories, and connect folks. And I think that over the next six to 12 months, we'll find some effective ways of doing that. And then once, fingers crossed, knock on wood, there is a vaccine that is widely distributed and widely administered, I think you will see a big rush for people wanting to go back to physical events. People are going to want to go to conferences. And so there will be a huge boom in the physical, but we'll have this virtual arm, which will hopefully be strong by that point in time. And so there are things you could do where you connect people who couldn't be connected otherwise virtually, and then you can be even more targeted and curated for what you're doing physically and have a much broader geographic reach. So I, that's what I think is going to be the, the outcome three to five years from now. And I'm, I'm really excited to see that happen. Nice. Excited as well. Now, you mentioned you helping to identify funding gaps for a lot of these uh, organizations and companies. Can you talk about that a little bit more in the process uh, of doing that? Right. Well, The funny thing, or not the funny thing, (laughs) what we'll say is there aren't funding gaps. It's a chasm. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So this work is ever evolving, but what, you know, has been uh, really highlighted and it's been worked on, there's been a lot of progress made is is funding at at the really early stage. But there are also gaps that exist or a gap that exists. And I'm talking about early stage to commercialization. So uh, really getting demonstration projects off of the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're talking about climate tech, the really important work that's being done is hardware. And hardware is really expensive, right? It's it's CapEx heavy. And to get that first project, you know, steel in the ground, can be very expensive. And so a lot of investors aren't going to 
take uh put you know put down that much money that early and take that much risk like the the, the vc industry has been modeled around this software unicorn model so we find ways to help get more investment and if it's non-dilutive even better to to these hard tech startups which are going to be some of the key technologies that are going to solve the climate change problem i nice. hope that answers your question oh yeah no it definitely does it's it's, it's really now, a complex issue but yeah um i think that in a nutshell that that's the most pressing of of all of the obstacles mm. okay now now with these companies i'm sure you're around so much amazing technology and innovation. Can you talk about some of these technologies that you've seen? Sure. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on right now. And let's just say, too, that climate tech is a relatively new term. And uh, it, it, it seems to be have, have some sex appeal for for more traditional investors. Um, mm -hmm. And why are they calling it climate tech? Well, that's what we've been calling clean tech now for almost two decades. And they're calling it climate tech because when people hear clean tech, they think two things. They, they think, oh, the bust that happened back in 08, 09, and then they think energy. Clean tech and now climate tech is much broader than energy. Climate tech, includes food and ag mm. it includes built environment solutions or green building solutions if you will it includes waste reuse it includes blue tech so technologies having anything to do with water whether it's helping repair and rebuild coral reefs to technologies that reduce the amount of microbeads going into waterways that end up in oceans mm. and also transportation, so on and so forth. So point being, you can see that categorically climate tech is very broad. Yeah. Some of the exciting stuff that really interests me, given it's so broad, I, I think people could really like dive into any of those verticals and, and talk for hours. Yeah. Um, what, what really excites me right now is what's going on with storage, because storage, energy storage, especially grid scale storage, is uh, the holy grail. And that's because a lot of renewable energy, as I think many people will, will know listening to this, you know, it's coming from where we want it to come from, the sun and the wind. And... The sun isn't always shining and the wind isn't always blowing, as <laughs> skeptics like to say. There are things you can do about this with grid management. But at the end of the day, what we really want is grid scale storage that's long duration. Mm. And so, great, the sun isn't shining right now. Well, it was shining earlier and that energy is still being stored and you can turn it on at night. Wind isn't blowing right now. It was before we stored that energy. Well, we can turn it on when the wind isn't blowing, so on and so forth. So there is a lot of interesting work being done in storage. 
Um, I think that we're not too far away from some solutions to that problem. And that's really exciting. Mm. Um, also, you're talking about alternative forms of energy. I'm really excited about fusion. I mean, mm. nothing excites me for than, more than nuclear fusion. And I know that people have been saying this for many, many years. Oh, in 10 years, we're going to have fusion. 20 years later, crickets. Mm. But I think with all the money and attention that's being paid to fusion, we might have scalable fusion technologies in the next 10 to 20 years. And, and actually, people should Google what France is doing right now with fusion. And, and they're just started construction on, on a fusion project that will be the largest, don't quote me on this, but I believe it is the largest industrial construction project ever. So uh, I recommend people Google that. Okay. Uh, but with fusion, why it's really important is that it's much safer <laughs> than, than fission. And it's abundant and clean. The biggest issue is that you want to have a large source of concentrated energy production that can be located as close as possible to city centers or energy demand. Because the further the electrons have to go, the more energy you lose along the way. So fusion is also a holy grail. Fusion plus storage. Uh, so that really excites me on the energy front. Also, there's a lot of interesting um, technology on the food and ag side. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you saw uh, this company called Appeal. No. That's based in Santa Barbara. And Appeal has this organic coating which it could put onto produce and it extends the shelf life i think by something like don't quote me on this again two or three x it got a little splashy because oprah and Katy perry invested in their last round they just closed and it was a massive funding round imperfect foods um just closed a a, a huge round same with, uh, I think there's like a competitor to Perfect Imperfect Foods just close a, a huge Series B round. Uh, so there's a lot going. I mean, and there's also like the the alternative to protein solutions that you're seeing. And so I, I think you're going to see even more exciting technologies coming out of the food and ag space over the next five to ten years. I could go on, but I'll stop there. Okay. Now, <laughs> no, but that was great. So now as far as energy, you mentioned how a fusion won't be really scalable uh, fusion technology to about 10 or 20 years. But right now, what are the most efficient type of renewable or clean uh, technologies for energy are there out there? Sure. Solar and wind. The, those um, are the most efficient, you think, right now with the, oh, yeah. the storage I mean, and everything? Is, okay. It, so, so wind has been cheaper mm -hmm. than... Oh, of course, it depends on the geographic region. But wind has been cheaper than the dirtiest form of fossil energy. And I think that solar just crossed that oh, wow. per kilowatt hour threshold as well. So as a friend of mine likes to say, hashtag cleaner is cheaper. So why do you think we are where we are as a country? Why do you think we haven't moved as far as we need to as far as doing more with clean energy and clean tech energy? Oh, geez. So, <laughs> I, 
I, well, look, let's let's put it this way. We have come a really long way. That's true. I mean, look at EVs. And, mm-hmm. again, pointing out, like, the price per kilowatt hour for wind and solar. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, just how far we've come, I think we need to note that, is, is really incredible. And I think that you asked that question because we have a long way to go. Yeah. Right. Which is daunting. And a long way to go with, if you believe 99.9% of scientists in the world with not much time. And that's the crux of the problem. If we had, say, 50 more years than we do now, I think we would get there in reasonable fashion, but we don't. And... Um, so why haven't we galvanized enough force or will to act sooner and faster? I would say one problem is that climate change is a problem that people can't see. And it's a problem that is in the distant future. Whereas humans now, for the most part, especially in developed nations, their attention span is declining over time. Mm. So that, I think, is the crux of the problem, which means, so putting that all together and wrapping it in a bow, you'll come to the realization that we need a massive amount of capital resources towards accelerating the solutions that we need to address this existential problem. And unfortunately, well, let's just say this. We have lots of people stepping up. Like, look at what Bill Gates is doing. It's incredible. But Bill Gates only has so much money. Jeff Bezos is starting to do some stuff. Great. But even Jeff Bezos only has so much money. This is trillions of dollars we're talking about that we need. And the only way we're going to get the amount of money, let's just say resources, financial and human resources, dedicated to the problem is through unfortunately political will right and the dark money out there which is primarily generated from doing business as usual with fossil fuels has known that and figured it out for quite some time now and have been dedicating substantial resources to maintain uh business as usual by controlling or influencing the political apparatus, especially in the United States of America. And so I think that's why we don't have the political will that we need to marshal the resources required to solve the problem. And the silver lining of this is that if we did do that, it would create a massive amount of jobs and as far as this country is concerned put the united states in a position to maintain its economic leadership for the next century so not only would everybody be living in a healthier more sustainable world we'd also 
be living in a wealthier world financially. Mm-hmm. So I hope that answers your question. Oh, yeah, it does. It makes sense why you do so much work with both government and a private sector. Now, I know that you went to graduate school in China. How did living in China prepare you for what you're doing <laughs> now? And has that changed your perspective on things, you know, especially you're talking about blue tech and, and things of that nature? I know China seems right now a country that's been really looking into climate tech companies. So and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but how has that experience out there prepared you for what you're doing? Well, I wouldn't be in climate tech or doing what I'm doing if I hadn't lived in China. Mm. Well, during my graduate studies, I was sitting in class, and this is uh, one of my climate change courses. It was just uh, just another day, uh, another lecture, and our professor, he writes the five-year environmental plans for the Chinese government. And he brought in a, a guest lecturer who was at the time, I don't know if he still is, the, the lead negotiator for China to the UN on, on climate. And this lecturer had a slide up on the wall, and it showed the projected trajectory for cement and steel demand over the next decade. And it looked like a hockey stick. And this is in China, the cement and steel demand. And why is that important? It's important because cement and steel are two of the most energy-intensive industries in the country by far. And that energy is predominantly provided by dirty coal-fired power plants. So I looked at that projection over the next 20 years, that hockey stick. And I looked outside the window and this was back in 2012. Okay. And I was, I was looking out the window and this was the time when Beijing had its worst air pollution like ever. And they called it air apocalypse. And I looked out the window and I could not see a tree that was about, I'm not exaggerating, roughly 20 feet to 30 feet from the window because of how much smog was in the air. Mm. And not only could I not see the tree, but the room, the classroom smelled like it typically does on a lovely day like this. It smelled like burning tires. And this smell is not only there during these high pollution days, it's not only there when you are awake, but also while you're sleeping. And so when you wake up, it's the first thing you smell. And you could actually see it in your bedroom. So I was looking out the window and seeing the lovely smog and smelling it and looking at this hockey stick projection for cement and steel demand, which has proven to be quite accurate over the last decade. And I thought to myself, I've got to do something about this. And in that class, we had come to the conclusion that the ways to solve this problem really come down to two elements. 
Uh, one is having a price on negative externalities. So people call this a price on carbon. Okay. So that you can incentivize all industries to change. There's a market incentive. Right, that makes sense. So that and um, a ma- you know having a massive, massive, massive amount of capital directed towards solutions or climate tech as we call it today. And that's what motivated me to to do what I can to solve this problem. And it's been a long winding road for, for me to get to this point or where, what I've been doing the last few years. But that's how China influenced me the most. I could go into my experiences there and just how especially working at a at a startup there and just how crazy it was and culturally how different china is from the united states um i have very fond memories of the country and but i'm really glad that i live in the bay area now (laughs) (laughs) well that's great it got you on a path where you are now so that's good and now you mentioned something earlier you mentioned that we don't have the political will we need to solve this problem. I know now that you're on the Clean Energy for Biden initiative and you're the co-chair of the Finance Committee. Can you talk about what that is and what's going on there and what you right. do, what you're doing? Right. So clearly, this is a general election cycle, mm-hmm. as everybody knows. And to me, as I'm sure many people feel out there, that. You know, it's easy to say this, and I'm sure this has been said before, but I really do believe that this is the most important election, or one of the most important elections, if not the most important election, that this country will experience or has experienced. Who knows what mm-hmm. the future holds? And everybody's focused on healthcare right now, as they should be, but climate is a very close second. And the current administration has made very clear where they stand on climate change and environment. And I encourage people to go look at the policy proposal that the Biden campaign put out about a week or two ago and see where the Biden team stands on climate. The difference couldn't be more extreme. So how people vote in November will have huge ramifications for the climate and for humanity and for our country's economic standing in the world. So that being said, that's what has motivated me to, you know, take some nights and weekends and mornings, very early mornings, and do my part to help Biden get elected. And that has manifested in work that I'm helping out with for Clean Energy for Biden or CE4B. I encourage everybody who's passionate about this issue to go to cleanenergyforbiden.com and sign up for our mail list. We have a lot going on. And so what Clean Energy for Biden is, there are many groups for Biden out there. We focus on obviously clean energy and climate tech. And we put on regional and national events, as well as co-hosts other national events for great groups like um, Give Green. And so we're putting on these events, uh, building out networks to support those events. And those events are all geared towards 
directing money towards the Biden campaign. And in addition to Clean Energy for Biden and Give Green, there are other groups out there. And we're all working together to show just how important of an issue this is and how massive of a community there is out there that is behind this issue. And so that's what Clean Energy for Biden is. My role at this moment, I'm volunteering on the finance committee and I'm, I'm leading it. So that just means that I am recruiting new members to the finance committee and activating them to help support and elevate all the events that are going on. Okay, great. Definitely an important issue. And I will be checking out the uh, proposal. All right. Yeah, so please do. And, and also, again, sign up for cleanenergyforbiden.com. Will do. Yep. All right. So can you talk about a typical day of yours? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that days are very different for everybody now that we are in the United States where we're living in a pandemic. Right. And under yes. quarantine. Pre-COVID. Conditions. Pre-COVID. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think it's important to kind of look at the present because I think the present is not short term. That's true. Good point. Um, the last four, I mean, we've been in this for four and a half months and I, I, I don't I don't see any near term end to this. So I, I think either. the present is the is the near it's the medium term future. So let's mm -hmm. let's look at that. Funny thing is I'm also an angel investor and I was talking to CEO of one of the startups I've invested in and he joked and he's like, Matt, what's gonna be so funny is when I close my round I'll let the investors know just how much money I've raised in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my, my day has come to, I still try to get as much sleep as I can and, you know, roll out of bed sometimes and just start working. I mean, I, I meditate every day. So I do that. And I, I try to keep that up. Um, I try to keep up exercising every day. So you know, sleeping enough, meditating, exercising, I think are all really important things and are well mm -hmm. studied. And I'm sure most, I hope a lot of people um, listening to this are, are continuing or building upon those habits, especially during times like these. Right. And EarthX work, it is, you know, my you know, focusing on, on, you know, that, that part of my day is, is really helping doing what I can as a member of the leadership team to guide the organization towards a virtual future and winning and also engaging with climate tech startups and investors and seeing how I can help them. So that's going on on a daily basis. Also for e-capital and that work, figuring out what that looks like specifically in a medium term virtual world, then there's the volunteer um, Biden work that I'm doing, which is, um, you know, it's, it's bottom up, so it can get a little, a little hectic and it's like herding cats. So um, I, I do my best to delegate how I can inform as many people as I can provide them with the tools that they need because they're also all very busy and have jobs and kids so all the tools that they 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 need to to support um the biden campaign 
as efficiently as possible. And then I'm also doing a Stanford executive education course. So mm. I've been doing that for now seven weeks and have a few more weeks left of that. And that's been very helpful for my personal professional development. I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. So I'm taking advantage of this education I can get virtually. And then I'm also a partner of a startup CEO. So I try to be the most supportive and loving partner I can as she also leads a, a team of 25 plus people and is um, and is exploring and thus far successfully navigating how to continue to scale her company during extraordinary times. Yeah. Wow. Um, oh, and you know what? Hey, I still, um, I still Netflix and chill. And <laughs> I, I, I read as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a, uh, I, I, I try to read 30 to 50 pages a day. Um, you know, just to, to activate my mind in a different way. And as I pointed out again, I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. So I'm important. Reading is important to me and I'm, Oh, and I, mean, I was on the road half the time prior to the pandemic. So, uh, being at home all the time, I've taken up cooking again. Nice. So I have Anthony Bourdain's cookbook. And so I'm a huge Bourdain fan and my goal has been, though I've slacked off the last few weeks, to make uh, Anthony Bourdain recipe a week. Mm. And, uh, and and my partner is really grateful for that. Yeah, <laughs> but she is. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I don't know how you get sleeping. You were <laughs> extremely busy. Extremely I just I, bl I block time and stay focused. Yep. And efficient, but I'm maxed out. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> sounds like it. <laughs> Now, now, as far as a lot of the things that you've said you're doing and have done, I could tell a lot of the skill sets that you have, you're, you know, multitasking, your leadership skills, your finance skills, technical skills. But what skill sets and characteristics do you think are important to be successful in your line of business? I think that courage mm -hmm. is really important. Courage to take smart risks that are impactful. Also courage to say the truth as how you see it. And courage and humility to listen to others and take constructive criticism and grow. I also think that compassion is really important. And especially during these days, which is having a concern for others. Yeah. A constant curiosity. So being a lifelong learner and, and being curious about problems that exist, that excite you and how to solve them. But also it's knowing or at least discovering and then knowing what is most important to you and can be most impactful. In other words, your mission, your personal mission and staying focused on that so that it's really easy to be pulled in hundreds of directions. But... You have to know when to say yes, and more importantly, when to say no. And you're only one person, and so every action you take, decision you make, is really important. And all of those actions and decisions are should be focused 
or, or contribute towards your mission. And I hope that everybody's mission can be impact oriented. I'm sure there's more to it that's not going to my mind right now, but that that's my answer to that question. Well, no, that was great. That's great. I like it. Good advice. The triple C's, courage, compassion, and curiosity, and knowing your missions, staying focused on it. I and like also that. being humble, right? You mm-hmm. got to be yeah. humble. So. Yep. All right. Now, what do you love about what do you do? What do I love about what I do? I'm addicted to impact <laughs> and especially focused on climate. So at the end of the day, what gets me most excited is to see and speak with climate tech entrepreneurs who are scaling and raising the money they need to scale even further. That's what excites me most. Okay. I like that. All right. And now what about on the flip side, though? You mentioned a couple of challenges. One is your company not really being a digitally savvy organization and you know the funding gaps that are out there for a lot of the companies and organizations. So what other challenges or obstacles do you see are out there? Oh, great question. <laughs> um, as far as like what I like to the part of the world that I focus on? Yes, exactly. So so for what you do and, and how you're trying to make an impact for your clients, what obstacles are out there for you? <laughs> I'd say the biggest obstacle out there for me, and I think it's out of there for a lot of people, are humans. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, climate change is not a huge issue for the earth the earth's gonna be here yeah climate change is the biggest issue for it's really an issue of for humanity and the 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 political will problem is really a human problem so um the biggest obstacle is how I and my daily activities that I do is, you know, how can I help empower and lift up as many people and humans as possible and also have compassion for others and listen to people who don't agree with the way I see the world. And how can I come to a middle ground with those people so that as a whole, we can get to where we need to go and solve the problem? So the biggest obstacle is the human problem. All right. No, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. You're right. The earth is going to be here. I like how you put it. Now, do you have any most memorable moment Um, you've been working? um, I've had many memorable moments. I'm fortunate enough to have had those. I would say professionally was being invited to the White House mm, yeah. for work that I've done in a bipartisan way. It was just really awesome to be in that building. I can't say that it was awesome who I received the invitation from, <laughs> but you know who, who's occupying that building right now, mm-hmm. but... It was awesome to be there and very humbling. And it was just one of those moments that's like, you got to pinch yourself. You're like, really? How have I gotten to this point? I know why, but it was, and it's because of support from others and, and hard work, but it was definitely an awesome moment. 
That's great. You know, being recognized for all the hard work that you've put in and all the impact you've done for the industry and your clients and companies and organizations in the industry around the nation. So good for you. So we're at the end of this interview. There's oh, the, no. So, I, I was just getting started. I wasn't doing this. I thought we could keep going for another hour. Huh. Time flies, right? An hour already. Yeah. Wow. So there are some quick hitter questions I would like to ask you for fun, for people that okay. get to know you a little bit better. But before I do, is there anything else additional you want to add or anything you think I might have or did not ask you? Everybody, go vote. Mm. <laughs> Please. Yes, 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 yes. No matter who you're voting for, go vote. That's true. Very true. Yes. All right. So with that, let's get to these quick hitter questions. Number one, what's your favorite sports team? I'm sorry. I I know you're from – you're in Houston, right? Right. Okay. I was born in Dallas, Dallas Cowboys, all the way. Uh, Also the Mavericks. I'm a huge Mavs fan. Really any Dallas sports team. But if you live in Dallas, you got to go with the Cowboys first. All right. Fair enough. Favorite Unfortunately, movie? It's been a really painful. 20 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Sorry about gosh. that. Sorry about that. I had to dig in a little bit. <laughs> all right. Favorite movie or show? Favorite movie of all time Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Thought you were gonna say Office Space. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a great movie. It might be in my top ten, but, but I'm gonna go with Shawshank. Yeah, great movie. All right, favorite musical artist or group? Musical artist or group? Pearl Jam. Nice. Favorite vacation spot? Favorite vacation spot? I'd say. Oh boy, I want to go on vacation. Sorry, I know it's supposed to be quick hitter. That's right. Vacation spot. I'm gonna go with. El Nido, Philippines. Oh, wow. Okay. And favorite food or drink? Favorite food or drink? This is going to be really gross. My mother is probably listening. It's actually a condiment. It's ketchup. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) That's a first. (laughs) Hey. Very unique. All right. I love it. Hey. Well, Matt, thanks a lot. This has been really good. Learned a lot and a very good conversation with you and appreciate you for coming on to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a great time and uh, look forward to sharing it and listening back to myself. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good. Well, have a good one. All right, you too. All right, thanks, Bob. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.